Hey, all right. We're live. We're live. We are live. Welcome to Security Podcast, Security Squad Podcast. We're at episode number seven now. Yep. Wow. Episode number seven. We have some pretty good topics we're going to hit with you all today. Um, Before we get into that, Number one, we want to thank you for downloading and listening to our show on your favorite uh, podcast platform. Uh, we do see the numbers heading in the right direction, which is up every uh, every episode, which is awesome. So we thank everybody who is is listening so far. And uh, Andre and I don't get paid for this stuff. So all that we ask is you do us a favor and share out our podcast on your social media. Make your friends and family aware that there is a podcast out there to help them with cybersecurity and just understanding what the heck is going on out there. Because as we know, there's a lot going on out there and um, it's really hard to make sense of it sometimes uh, when you just get those maybe two or three minute news briefs from, you know, the news, uh, the major news outlets when they actually hit there. Um, But we're also making you aware that this stuff is going on every single day. Um, And it's not just, you know, a couple times a year that some company gets hacked. Um, And we're also giving you tips on how to deal with this stuff. If you're, you know, you're in business, whether you're owning a business or you're an employee in a business, if you hear something on our podcast that maybe sounds like a good idea and you're not doing it in your company, you could be that employee that champions change and cyber awareness in your company. So that's what we're hoping this podcast at least brings to our audience. And if you do enjoy uh, our podcast, you learn something, you're enlightened. We just ask that you share it out. And that's the only fee we ask for. So without further ado, we're going to jump into the content, which today uh, we're going to talk about at the end of the podcast, we're going to talk about some good news with the PPP loan um, and how you can use some of that PPP money to maybe shore up your technology or do better with cybersecurity. So we'll talk about the details behind that. You're going to want to stick around and hear that because it's essentially free money for technology. Um, And that's been expanded in this plan. Um, We're also going to talk about ransomware and ransomware payments. And then we're going to jump into uh, a little bit of an update on the solar winds attack, but it's kind of, you know, I didn't think it would go in this many directions, but we're starting to see a lot of different directions it's going to go in. So we're going to update everybody on what the heck is going on uh, with that and how it impacts you uh, and, and your business or you as an employee of a business. Uh, and then the last topic we're going to jump into is the the uh, the big political news, I guess you would call it, Andre, where they kick Parler off of Amazon Web Services uh, and Parler decided to, they reacted to that and did some things. And we're going to talk about what they did and why it's important to you to know what they did and why they did it and why you shouldn't be using, in my opinion, shouldn't be using something like Parler when all this is going on. So uh, as we always do, let's check in, see how the week went in your business and my business. We'll talk about that real quick and then we'll jump into those those uh, four topics we're going to hit on. So give our audience some uh, some business advice this week, Andre. I know we talked offline before we started recording. What You had some pretty big shifts in your business, and I don't think it would 
uh, be fair to our audience to not hear the context around why you decided to do what you did. Mm -hmm. so let us know what you did. Tell us why you did. You decided to do what you did. Uh, go ahead. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, I got some big wins, as you mentioned. Um, this this week, I uh, was able to get some new contracts signed with my clients. Um, before, I, I would say we were, you know, 10 years now where our contract was something I literally just created. Um, it was a one pager, basically the services. It had no disclaimers. It had like nothing. It was just basically, this is what I'm going to do. This is how much it is. And then that's it. There was no termination uh clauses. Um, there was nothing. So I um, got with an attorney who, who knew IT and basically now my contracts are, are, are very more, I would say, ironclad where it protects the business. And of course, it still protects the customer. It's not like a one-way contract where, you know, if, if something on my side, uh, if we didn't do something right, the client has um, no recourse. But it's, it's, it's a very fair contract and it's something that um, I'm very proud of because before clients could just decide to give me a one day notice and and that was it. Now there's there's terms in there and there's you know there's um, there's increases because my contracts before um, we would have some clients where since uh, 2016 they've been saying they've been paying the same amount of money. Now our contracts show that it you know goes up X percent every year and and it's agreed upon at the beginning. So a lot of great stuff. I'm so happy I did it. And, you know, um, in the mastermind group we're in, Brian, one of the things I'm learning is even though I'm 38 years old now, I, st I still need to have a, a vision of one day, you know, selling the company or being able to show value in the company. And the way you do that is by contract. So um, now that, you know, someone ever looks at my books and, you know, in a couple of years from now and they see that, you know, all 75 of our clients have have something in place to say that they're not going anywhere unless we really screw up or something. It really adds value to our business. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's valuable information for people to hear. Um, number one, to, to, to do that deep dive on your business, whether you do it with a, with a mastermind or peer group or you do it, just do it yourself is important. Um, and it gave you perspective, right? It gave you perspective that I need to change the way that I'm doing things so I can get to my goals and, and drive to my goals because the way that you're doing things currently wasn't really getting you there or it was right. going to be a long road to hoe if you were to get there versus, you know, and it's very important to take that step back, you know, at a minimum once a year, depending on your size of your business and, and you know, your business might get to the point where you need to do this quarterly, um, you know, because you just have, a lot of things going on. There's a lot of revenue involved and you can't let it go a year. So kudos to you, my friend. I know the details of what you're talking about and it really, it really is a, a, a tough transition, not only, um, you know, from a physical standpoint to actually do it within the business, but for the business owner to get over uh, ment mentally changing the way that they've operated is, is a big hurdle to overcome. Um, a lot of people just won't ever pull the trigger on it. So, so congratulations. So thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm going to bring up a topic in our business that I, you know, nothing, nothing super exciting happened, but we did. Um, one of the things that we 
that we have here is a, a, one of our core values in our business is always improve. And part of that is, you know, making sure that my team is improving and that the bench strength that we have here is, is always improving. Um, a while ago, I, I took on the, um, I took on the perspective of um, viewing my team and my bench strength kind of like a farm system in baseball. Like you always want to, you know, have that next man up mentality. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of companies rest on their laurels and kind of just roll with what they have in, in the roles that they have and, and don't do things like um, skills training to enhance the skills and, and level up their their employees to you know be better and offer the company more and also give them a career path and be able to promote them from within um but also making sure that you're absolutely providing the best service plus cross training you 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 take opportunities to cross train so when you have somebody who goes on vacation or they god forbid have to go out on disability that that doesn't cripple your team um, so that's one thing that we focused on in in 2019, 2020, and we have a pretty good plan in place for training people. And we had a guy out this week who was training for a cybersecurity certification. Um, so it was nice to see not only the team pick up for when that person was out for three days, but it's also good to know that I'm developing my team and moving you know, in, increasing that bench strength, um, because I view that as as the differentiator between, you know, our companies, you know, my company, your company, and every other competitor that we have out there, you know, how, what are your credentials? You know, are you certified? Are you not certified? What are, what are you, what are you bringing to the table? Um, and we're working on that. We're working on building that out. And I think that's important. And, um, you know, how much, you know, Time and money, and this is really a question for you, Andre. I'm just throwing the question out there. If you're listening, how much time and money each year are you dedicating to not only your own personal growth as a CEO, but your own personal or your, your growth of your team and making sure that you're providing training uh, that aligns with their goals? Um, you know, I'm one of those people that says, um, you know, I'm we. The way we look at things here is we have employees that we um, educate and we put them in a position where if they left our company, we want them to be their next company's best employee. Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of how we look at things. And, and that's the attitude that, that we have. We really want to grow our team and make our team uh, the best that they can possibly be. Possibly be. So that's one thing we did this week that was a, a big standout for us. Um, it's going to be a huge certification to add to our tool chest. Um, so I'm excited about that too. So, so that's about it for that. So let's jump into today's content. I'm going to bring up my screen. Um, we have a, a bunch of things that we're going to talk about, but I want to ask you about this one um, that we talked about in the green room a little bit. Um, you just have to figure out how to share my screen real quick. Yeah. Uh, bring me back. <laughs> bring you back somehow. <laughs> there we go. All right. So um, ransomware. Ransomware victims that have backups are paying ransoms to stop 
hackers leaking their stolen data. So uh, this is something I talk about on my YouTube channel a lot. Um, double extortion. I don't know if I was the first person to come out with that term, but I feel like I was. Um, but that's kind of the name of the game nowadays. What's going on here? What do you know? How do people protect themselves? Or if they get hit with ransomware, uh, the typical thing is, is, you know, people are like, I either have to pay the ransom because I don't have backups or wait a minute, I'm not paying you because I have backups. So I'm, I don't need you to give me my files back. I can go get them over here with my backups. So that's been, I think, the in historically the thought process for a lot of people is like, I'm good. I'm protected from ransomware because I have backups. Um, tell us what's going on here. Give us some insight. Yeah. Um, so as you mentioned, um, it's it's the victims, which are which are, let's just say, the clients, the end user. Everybody knows that they're supposed to be backing up. I mean, even if you get something as simple as a, a carbonite to something, a Kronos or, or whatever the case is, I think everybody's got it ingrained in their mind that they should be backing up the data. So the, the hackers are now saying, OK, well, if we're not going to be uh, able to get as much money as we can because these people have their information out in the cloud. They have it uh, on an external hard drive, whatever the case is, or, or maybe the, the information is not as important to them where they get the life moves on if they don't have access to the data. Now the hackers, as you said, is the double extortion. They're, they're saying, okay, well, if you don't need your data back, we're just gonna go ahead and, and publicize it. We're gonna go ahead and leak it. We're gonna go ahead and give it to your, your competitors. So now will you pay us? And now that's getting people's attention because obviously you don't want your, your trade secrets, you don't want um, any of your client lists or whatever the case is to be out there. And now this is just another avenue that the, um, the cyber criminals are, are now using to, to get your money. Right, and, and a couple of things too that I know in developments that I'm seeing out there along with this is, and this is what people need to understand is and the, the war that businesses are in with these cyber criminals, businesses are severely behind in, in the war. The, the cyber criminals are way ahead. Now, I don't necessarily think long term they're going to win it because the amount of the, the weapons or tools in the arsenal of the people on, let's call it the blue side, is going to be much greater than the red side, especially once governments get involved and really start cutting things off. Um, but in the present time, the way things are, it's kind of like the wild, wild west right now. Um, the cyber criminals are kind of winning and they're, all, and, and they're ahead of the game in terms of all this stuff. Um, to the point that I wanted to make is not only are they double extorting people, but they're at the point now where when you engage with the person on the other side of the ransomware attack, they're, they're basically asking you, who are you working? Are you working with anyone? Who are you working with? Do you have cyber insurance? Um, and then based on the answers you're giving them, they're formulating in their head how much they can get out of you. And this is what that looks like. Most people have a deductible on an insurance policy. Most cyber insurance deductibles are are fairly high, in my opinion. Um, you know, I know one case where the deductible was twenty five thousand dollars, and once the 
person on the other side of the ransomware attack knew that the deductible, because they will ask you, what's your insurance deductible? Like, are you, do you have cyber insurance? Yes. Are you going to file a claim? Yes. Okay. What's your deductible? Why do you think they're asking that question? Mm-hmm. Why do you think they're asking the question? That's how much they're going to go after. $25,000 deductible, they're going to say, hey, you're going to pay, you know, the Hartford or Travelers 25000 just for them to pay whatever we're going to make the ransom. So let's say it's $75,000. You're going to pay 25000 for them to pay the, the, the fifty, you know, the, the balance. So why don't you just pay us the 25000 You don't have to file a claim against your insurance. And, you know, we give you your data back and everybody moves on their merry way. And we're $25,000 richer. Mm-hmm. How many business owners out of 100 do you think would go for something like that? Yeah. You're paying less money in your eyes. You know, at the end of the day, you're really not. But in your eyes at the time, you think you're getting away with paying less money. You don't have to report a breach or you think you don't have to report a breach. You don't have to file a claim. So nobody's going to find out, including the insurance company, if you don't do things properly, which this would be considered not doing things properly. Um, so it's kind of like a win-win-win all around, and it really entices the business owner to go, yeah, why would I go through all that with a insurance claim and having to report it and all the things that you should do in the event of a breach, but we know what goes down when these things occur. And, and that's just like with the double extortion, we're also seeing these tactics with, hey, you know, you don't necessarily have to go as far as filing a claim with your insurance company. Just pay us what you would pay them and everything will go back to normal. Yeah. It's crazy. We live in a world like this. I mean, mm-hmm. I used to watch, uh, I, I was used to watch um, like, uh, you know, uh, mafia movies, you know, and, and you know, Bronx Tale is one of the ones that I think of a lot when I think of this stuff. You know, the difference between what went on back then and and the mafia and, you know, mobs running neighborhoods and shaking down businesses for security, right? Because that's what the mafia did. Mafia is like, you know, they walked into a business and said, you got to pay us this fee, you know, and we'll make sure nothing bad happens to your business. And a business owner would be like, well, nothing bad happens here. I'm not paying you. And then a the guy throws a brick through his window. And he's like, are you sure about that? If you don't want the other window broken, you're going to pay me. And that's exactly what's going on with these guys. These guys are, you know, you don't know them. They're not part of your neighborhood. Um, you know, that's the that's the difference, I guess, if you want to call it that. Um, but they're doing the same exact thing. It's like, you know, oh, you don't, you know, I'm not going to, you're not, I'm not, I'm not going to pay you because I don't have a problem. I have these backups over here. And then he throws a brick through your window. Yeah, right. You might have backups, but now I'm going to release all this stuff on the internet. Mm-hmm. It's the same tactics. It's just a different game played on a different playground. Yep. So that's all I'm going to say about that. You want to add anything before we move on? No, no, you got it, man. You got you said everything. Cool. And, you know, it's important to know this stuff from a business standpoint because you might have a ransomware attack one day, you might have to deal with a criminal hacker. And why we're putting this information out there is that maybe you listen to this podcast and you say, oh, well, 
you know, I heard the podcast and they said, you know, to be careful about paying the ransom and this, that, and the other thing. Um, you know, so that's why we bring these things to people's attention. So they know, you know, if they think they're going to use a backup to get out of paying a ransom, you got this other thing hanging over here. Um, and it's important to know. So um, we're going to jump into solar winds, right? The solar winds hack. I'm getting a little tired of talking about it. And it's funny because we were talking to somebody the other day and they were like, oh, malware got bytes use solar winds and they got hacked because they use solar winds. And I'm like, no, they didn't use solar winds. And the article and the way that um, some of the news media writes these articles, they're starting to dub the ATP 29 group as the solar winds hackers. So they're taking on kind of a new name. And then when that happens, everybody associates the solar winds hackers and any event that happens around them as oh, they must have been using SolarWinds software too. Well, in this case with Malwarebytes, they were not uh, customers of SolarWinds. But yet here we find out that they were hacked. So what happened here, Andre? Let's educate everybody on what happened, how these hackers were able to breach Malwarebytes, how bad was the attack? Actually, this one is you. You're going to be doing that one. Oh, I'm doing it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you're doing that one. Yeah. Oh, on me. All right. So, um, so here's what I know about this, and, and I'll be quite frank. I don't know a ton. I do know that uh, Malwarebytes was breached. I believe they only got as far as reading emails. Again, this was posted two days ago. So as I always say, we're going to find out more. Um, so we might find out that it was more than just somebody reading a couple email accounts. Um, but at the end of the day, this was a flaw that was discovered within Azure. Now, if you don't know what Azure is, that is, you, you know, about like Amazon has their cloud called AWS or Amazon Web Services. This is Microsoft's cloud. Uh, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, they all have these big cloud infrastructures where they sell cloud infrastructure to companies and cloud services to companies. Um, so uh, obviously Malwarebytes rents computing space from Microsoft in their environment called Azure. Uh, Azure, it's believed that SolarWinds hackers had the, uh, ha when they breached Microsoft, because Microsoft was a SolarWinds customer, then the SolarWinds hackers were able to figure out some vulnerabilities within the Azure environment. And then they were able to use what they found out through Microsoft to then breach another company, Malwarebytes, by exploiting a flaw in the Azure Active Directory or AD environment. Um, so that's a little technical, um, but it's important to know that um, just like you have a, if you're used to the old school way of, of doing things where you come to your computer at your business and you log in and, and it, you type in your password and username and password, you hit, and you hit okay, and it logs you into your desktop. When that happens, you're contacting a server, usually within the company, you know, in the building, in the four walls of the building that you're in, um, 
usually that server lives on site and you log into it and it's called an AD or an Active Directory server. And that's what stores all your usernames and passwords and authenticates you and is responsible for the security of your network. Well, that same server exists in the cloud in Azure. And the same thing there happens. You log into Windows using an email address and a password and it logs you into the Azure environment. And these guys were able to figure out a flaw that allowed them to then get into the networks. So why we're talking about this is because it's really important for everyone to understand that you are not ever 100% protected from a cyber attack. Just like we saw with the SolarWinds attack, you can have a backdoor put into software. And, you know, let's take the rapid adoption of, of Microsoft Teams in 2020. Mm-hmm. Prior to, I would say, May or June of 2020, the market share for Microsoft Teams as in terms of a collaboration product was probably less than 5%. And then Microsoft quickly saw an opportunity with COVID-19 to roll out Teams at a very rapid pace. And number one, to get it on the map as a tool that people could use to deal with the work from home that they were just thrust into, as opposed to using Zoom all the time or Slack or Discord or whatever a company may have chosen, Microsoft decided to come out and position that. And then all throughout 2020, they were bolting on add-ons and and features to Teams like I've never seen before with any product. I mean, it was just like, boom, 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 boom. They were adding stuff and you're like, what, what? Like, um, you know, to the point where by the end of 2020, they pretty much had a whole communication uh, unified communication system built in the teams where you could use it as your phone system, you know, your, your, your video um, collaboration system, just a chat system, a file management system. I mean, you can do a lot of stuff with teams now that you weren't able to do like nine, 10 months ago. Um, you know, and that, that the reason I point that out is because a lot of companies adopted teams and, I don't think a lot of companies went through a vetting process to make sure that that software was secure to use in their environment, or nor did they come up with a cybersecurity awareness uh, training program o- around how their employees should properly use Teams, what they should store in there, where they should store it, what they should send in it, what they shouldn't send in it. Um, how do you know that somebody's not sharing personally identifiable information through teams with another team member or an external team member? And how are you controlling that? Um, I saw a lot of companies deploy teams without asking these questions. Um, and a lot of a lot of professionals that I talked to were like, well, it's Microsoft. We trust Microsoft. <laughs> so can I'm just going to drop the mic there. You know, what are your thoughts on that? Because you, you know, I'm sure everybody that had SolarWinds on their environment uh, on December 12th trusted SolarWinds. On December 14th, they probably didn't trust SolarWinds too much anymore. But, but I'm going to throw it right back at you, Brian. I mean, Microsoft is basically our platform that we use, right? And if if one of your clients came to you and says, hey, Brian, I, um, I'm working with a developer. I found them on Upwork or I found them on Fiverr. 
and they're gonna build me an application, you're gonna have red flags all over. How right. how good is this programmer developer? You know, is how secure is his system? Has it been tested? Does he have referrals? So if Microsoft comes out during the pandemic, says, you know, they're pushing teams, everybody's bad mouthing Zoom because of their their issues that they were having. People need to communicate. So what are they supposed to do? Like, like if you it's kind of like like you're you're trust you're trusting the police, right? Your your local police department. You're trusting your local police department, but then they themselves get robbed. They themselves have a issue of theft. Like, so like if you can't trust Microsoft, who's the conglomerate in this whole IT tech technology, then who else do you go to? What else do you do? I mean, do you then go back to picking up the phones? Like, what do you do? What you do is what we recommend all of our clients do is move to a zero trust model and you trust nobody. And it's really hard for, for people to accept that. Um, there's a particular tool in our, in our industry that's fairly popular um, that, you know, I love it for what it does functionality wise from a zero trust perspective but I can't get any of my clients to buy into how how much it restricts things from a standpoint of this is how I'm used to IT being. And that is too much of a change. And I'm not willing to give up that much for security. But the reality of it is, is when you have supply chain attacks going on and you could have hidden malware within legitimate off-the-shelf software programs that you download and install on your systems, you need to go to a zero trust model. Um, that's the only true way to stop this stuff from happening. Sans a zero trust model, you will always have risk in your business. And that was my initial point with all this is that like, <laughs> You could spend hundreds of thousands of dollars investing in cybersecurity tools, products, hardware. You're still going to have a level of risk if you're using Windows, um, <clears throat> uh, Mac OS, iOS, Android. All of these things are things that are supplied to you as part of the technology that you use. You get a computer, it comes with Mac OS, it comes with uh, Linux, it comes with Windows. You have no control over that. You know, you're not going to go build your own operating system. Right. So you have to trust that those, that software is not compromised. Same thing with Office, same thing with malware bytes. You need to trust that these things don't have back doors put into them and having a zero trust type of approach where the systems are um, locked down or the what this software can do within a system is constrained is a better approach than just putting software on the system and then allowing it to do whatever it wants on the system. Mm -hmm. um, there are tools out there that if you put, you know, a piece of software on your computer and it doesn't behave like it it normally does or how it's expected to behave or it tries to run something it shouldn't there's software out there that will flag it and will right. say hey you know this did this and it 
you know, you need you need to at least look at it and see if that was, you know, a little a legitimate call to this certain process or, or that process. So, um, you know, to answer your question, it, it's a, the zero trust is like the only way you can, you know, effectively manage a supply chain type of attack um, from, you know, stopping at your door. It's not going to stop it happening from everywhere. But, you know, if you want it to stop at your door, zero trust is is how you do that now implementing zero trust is a is a big undertaking yeah um so you know it's not as simple as putting on one tool you know that means mr ceo who's listening to this podcast right now who thinks he needs to have admin rights because he's the head honcho of the company and he hasn't had a problem in 25 years you don't you're not qualified to have admin rights and you're causing a huge security risk in your company when you do yeah. So if that's your attitude, I highly suggest that you reevaluate your attitude um, because we've seen more CEOs cause problems within their company's network because they were so egotistical and couldn't get out of their own way. And they needed to have admin rights um, on their computer so they could do whatever they want, whenever they want. Um, they've caused more problems than, you know, your average employee. Um, it usually happens at that level, C-level or, you know, not the CEO, but it could be the CFO or somebody like that. I mean, in the past, we, we don't put up with that anymore. But in the past, we've had companies come to us and say, we want our entire executive team to have admin rights because we don't want to have to call somebody when we want a piece of software installed or something like that. And it's like, okay, you know, <laughs> you're not going to work with us anymore if that's going to be your attitude. But um you know, we've, you know, we've had those requests in the past. So, um, something, something to think about. Yeah. I also want to know that Malware Bytes is a security company. Right. Now these all are FireEye, Microsoft, Microsoft makes an antivirus, a defender breach, right. Malware Bytes breached. The important thing to note is, is that the hackers know that these software companies know that they have agents on all the computers that are their customers, right? So Malwarebytes is installed and running on your computer. Windows Defender or, or Microsoft products are installed and running on your computer. So if they can put a backdoor into those software products, they essentially have an entryway into every single computer that has that software. I mean, think of all the computers that have Teams and Office installed on them. They don't even have to be Windows computers. There's Macs with Office on them. If somebody can put a backdoor into Windows or Teams, it's going to be a, a cybersecurity breach event like we've never seen before. And if the SolarWinds breach and everything that we're painting a picture of doesn't raise concern for, for this, like that the software you could, legitimate software you could be using could present an unknown issue in your business from a cybersecurity standpoint. Um, I think we're highlighting it here. I think we're showing people that this is serious and that this, you know, as much as you think that your IT guy or your IT department has cybersecurity handled, these are the things that can kind of throw a monkey wrench into those thoughts. Yeah. So, all right. So moving right along, the uh, fake New York Times, as they call it, do we still call it that? Yeah. Now not not fake since it's right. the 21st. Um, 
So anyway, interesting thing. Um, I'll, I'll kind of talk about this and then we can talk about why th th this is a problem and then talk about the CEO of Parler and, and the CFO who tried to like kind of tamp down concerns. But I think the concerns are, are valid and I'll explain why towards the end of this segment. But Parler is an app, is a social media app. Um, I think it tried to compete with Facebook. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah. Yeah, so I I don't know if this is an an exact or a, a true representation of what Parler is, but to me Parler is um, a uh, a company that you know kind of saw an opportunity to um, attract uh, maybe Trump supporters or or Republican or right wing leaning right leaning um, your political people to their site for as a as a place that's like not censored and you can share your feelings and thoughts here without, you know, being thrown in Facebook jail or being censored and, and things like that. So that's kind of what Parler is from my perspective. I don't know if you share that same perspective, but um, yeah. Okay. So we're on the same page with that. But what, what actually happened here? Like who, like were they were on AWS and got kicked off. Can you speak to that? Yeah. So after you, after the uh, the capital incident, we'll call it that. Um, they basically got a lot of heat because uh, within within the within that um, application within their app, supposedly there was a lot of um, insights where people were, you know, saying, "Yeah, let's go do it," and a lot of fake news happening and things like that. So essentially, um, Apple first first it was Apple and and. and and Google that decided, you know what, we're not gonna we're, we're not gonna allow this to continue happening. So they essentially cut them off, and then from there, um, you could no longer access the app on those on those um, on your phone. And then from there, Amazon, which is where Parler is actually hosted, because after Apple and Google cut it off, you were still able to go on a web browser and still access the the Parler app, the Parler site, just like how you can go on Facebook.com. So then from there, I think 24 hours later, Amazon came in and says, hey, if you don't uh, moderate your users and, and be able to you know, take out any type of hate speech or anything that's inciting violence, we're going to ban you. And they gave them 24 hours. And 24 hours came, and from there, Amazon uh, kicked them out as well. So now we're seeing um, where Parler, since they couldn't use Amazon anymore, they are now... Um, going to a Russian uh, company to host their, to, or at least to temporary host their site or where, whatever the case is. And now there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of issues with that. You know, first you have their users that are saying, you know, this is not what, what Parler was supposed to be about. And then obviously there's the security concern because, you know, now you have a server, you have your phone, if you have the app, all of this information going to a, a server nobody really knows about, or I would say more importantly, will um, trust. Right. So the, the the DDoS Guard is the company, and it, it is a Russian firm. Um, and the whole uh, point of DDoS Guard is it basically routes internet traffic and, and presents and protects websites from from cyber attacks. Um, 
And a couple of things that are important here. Number one, it's known that DDoS Guard hosts uh, or does provides the same kind of services for uh, Hamas and ISIS. Um, so they really don't, you know, for lack of a better term, they don't really care who they work with. You know, they'll take money from anybody. Um, that's a concern. The other thing, too, is, is like social media sites, by their nature, you're sharing information. And you're also allowing permissions for the app to do certain things on your phone. And if you aren't fully aware of what you've gave the app permission to do, you don't know what that app is sending. The other concern here is, and what I don't like about what the executives at Parler did, which is basically said, ah, it's not a big deal. They... They just hosted a web page for us to basically, you know, a placeholder page to let people know what was going on during, you know, the server ban that, you know, they experienced with AWS. The problem with that is, is more than likely they just changed the DNS traffic to point to a new server. So that means everything, every request made to polar.com, that traffic got sent to that server. So every time somebody opened the app, if the app didn't work, that traffic is still leaving your phone and going to that server. It's still sending information. Whatever permissions you gave that app to do on your phone and whatever that phone is programmed to send to the server is still happening. It doesn't stop because Amazon shut it down. If if the website, if the server shut down and it's not available, the the data that's being sent from your phone just goes out into nowhere. But the minute they spin up a server and there's a server sitting there collecting all the, the data that's being sent from all the devices that have the Parler app, that's a huge deal. Like that's a huge thing like where you're opening the app and the, and the data is just being sent to some some server that is now hosting the parlor.com domain. Um, so, I mean, it is a concern. There's probably not a whole lot that could be done based on that because I'm sure the people at DDoS Guard didn't have enough time or, you know, information to build anything that could collect this data. Um, but you got to question the decision-making behind the CEOs, the CEO and the executives of this company um, to, to do that. I know, understand it was a reactionary and temporary move, but you really need to evaluate these things before you do them. And, you know, I don't agree with the move, uh, per se. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't have done it if I were them just because of, you know, the can of worms it opens up. Uh, I don't think it did them any favors in terms of, you know, potentially being allowed to run their, environment inside of AWS ever again, or Azure or Google or wherever else they may go. Um, because people are going to look at that and say, well, your platform is questionable at best in the first place. And then the decision-making practices behind your executive teams is even more questionable being yeah. that you would jeopardize data, you know, your users data in that manner. Cause essentially that's what they're doing. You know, they're jeopardizing every user's security of Parler and every user's privacy of Parler is now jeopardized because they're 
moving these servers and, and routing the traffic to their domain the way that they are. So that's why we wanted to bring it to everyone's attention. You know, if you have the app on your phone, I'd highly recommend at this point you remove it until they situate this because, you know, you don't know who could end up taking over that domain or taking over the servers that run run this company at this point. Um, I would consider this like a rogue social media platform at this point. Um, and, you know, if you're going to be sharing personal information, sharing pictures, um, I would make sure I'm doing it on a trusted platform. And whether you think Facebook or Twitter or Instagram is a trusted platform or not, you can debate that, but they are the most secure platforms that are out there today. So anything else you want to add to uh, the parlor story, sir? Yeah. Uh, I mean, this was a, this was a uh, desperate measure by a desperate company and they, they had to go to Russia kind of like Eric Snowden and how he's stuck. You know what this also points out to me as a, as a security professional, they don't have, they didn't have a business continuity plan or a disaster mm -hmm. recovery plan to go do something like this. This is what happens when you're not prepared. You make dumb decisions and you make bad decisions. Or you don't make a decision at all, which is still a decision, in my opinion. Right, right. Right? Yeah. So had they had a plan for what are we going to do if we get booted off AWS, it would have probably been more thought out and better than what they did here. Right. And yeah. that's why it's important for companies to sit down, you know, at least once a year and dive into their business continuity plan and at least do a you know a round table discussion on whether they think that that's a viable plan or not ultimately you want to get to the point where you can actually full-fledged test it but that takes years to get to quite frankly if you've never done something like this before just sit around the conference room table with your executives and go through you know if we lost that system if we lost our phones if we did this if we lost that server what would that look like to your business and what would that mean? And, you know, who in your company would get contacted if that wasn't available and who's responsible for getting it back up and how are they going to get it back up? How long is it going to take? Those are all questions you should know fairly quickly in the event of a disaster. And you're not going to yeah. figure it out when it's yeah, exactly. Yeah. Even in our business, we've done something. Oh, yeah. Even in our business, we've done something like that where, you know, okay, if our, like our main database uh, CRM system went down that our, our, our employees use for ticket system. Well, we have in, we have in our office a printout of our top, you know, clients that call us and things like that, name, number. Um, so I, I would say just think about it as if, if something happened to your technology that you use in your business, what is your backup plan? You know, do you right. have uh, a cell phone? But back, back to this article too, uh, one thing to note uh, about this is, um, with this power situation, them being desperate, they go to Russia, is that this is very similar to that TikTok situation, um, I would hey. say probably in May or May or June of last year. Uh, yeah. thousand percent. Every And it's almost the same people involved too. That's the crazy thing, right? <laughs> like the same audience. You know, we, you know, they don't, they don't want TikTok in China and servers right. in China, but nobody's in a big uproar about this. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember with TikTok, um, based on the terms and condition of TikTok, 
TikTok was collecting browsing, browsing history. So if you're on your Safari, you have nothing to do with TikTok and it got your browsing um, history, your search history, your location, um, your, your phone number, your GPS location, your age, your phone number, like all your photos, your videos, like it had access to all of this in the terms of condition. And if you're a federal employee or, you know, you're in that type of nature where, um, you know, you're using your, your you have like a, a work device, but then you have one of these type of applications that that's a big security risk, you know? So, um, and, and it's the same thing with, with that, if, especially with the work at home or even, you know, bring your own device where you have your employees with their personal cell phones. And now here they are putting these type of apps on their personal cell phone that you as an employee can't tell them because if you're not reimbursing them, um, you can't really tell them what to do with their personal phone. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy how, you know, on one hand you got our, our, you know, president at the time involved in making sure TikTok was not hosting their platform in China. And then the parlor moves over to Russia and nobody seems to care too much about that. So uh, whatever. So anyway, I'm going to move on because we're getting a little deep here in our time. Um, and I just wanted to bring up uh, the um, PPP loan and some good news, at least. Uh, we mentioned at the top of the show we were going to cover this. Um I'm going to let you talk on this one. I don't know a ton about it, to be quite frank. I do know that there are um, some incentives in the latest bill that passed in the United States uh, for the, is this part of CARES Act? Is this number two or is this? Yeah. Yeah. So this is the, the continuance or the second coming of the CARES Act, which includes PPP. And then at this time, along with the other things that you were able to um, use to, to, to write off the PPP money. Um, now, I believe not only is it salaries, um, rent and utilities, but now they're adding uh, technology to this. It's specific, I believe. You can't just go out and buy like 15 TVs and write it off but talk to us about what what this is who can take advantage of it does every business qualify do i think you know part of it i believe is i i know i don't believe we qualify for it because we never had a quarter a year over year or a quarter over quarter loss that was greater than 25 percent. so i don't know if i'm right on that but that's what i heard so educate us a little bit on, on what's going on with this round of PPP. Yep. And of course, speak to your CPA specific uh, for, the, for the specifics, but um, this is not financial advice. We're idiots. Don't take yeah. financial advice. <laughs> We're just random guy on YouTube, right? So, <laughs> um, so one of the, 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 the neat things is that they in particular, and I quote is, oh, where did it go? Basically it's, it's for technology. Um, specifically, it says including business software or cloud computing services for accounting, inventory tracking, and other needs. And what people are liking about that is the other needs. I'm not saying it's a gray area, but it, <laughs> it's like the government's kind of like, in, you know, whatever else, if you want to call it cloud. 
And this is a, a great example where, you know, if you still have things locally on your, like you have a database, uh, let's just say a QuickBooks uh, that you have hosted on your server. If you even have a server in your system and you want to now move everything to the cloud, well, according to this, um, you can now uh, apply for the PPP or, or use that as an expense. So moving to Azure, moving to Office 365, whatever the, whatever the case is, based on those last three um, ambiguous words that the government put in there. Yeah, that's an interesting, uh, or other expenses. It's interesting. Yeah. But leave it to our government to uh, to kind of, you know, open that door, leave that door open a little bit for, for people to abuse it. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I, I do know, it looks like on the screen there, number three, uh, experienced a loss of 25% or more in revenue in 2020 when compared to 2019. Uh, you know, if you read that on the surface, it does look like it's year over year, but I actually found out that it's actually quarter over quarter. Um, so if you can, if you've had one quarter that's 25% or lower or, or greater in, in, in revenue decline, one quarter versus another quarter from 2019 to 2020, you will qualify for the second round. Um, so, you know, if you just so happen to have one quarter in 2020 where you just did 25% less revenue uh, than, than you did in 2019, then you could still apply for the second round. So I think that's important to note because, um, you know, a lot of companies might have, made a decent amount of money those first three or four months and then maybe had a drop off in the third or fourth quarter. Um, and, you know, you know, it didn't it didn't get them to the point where they went to the full 25 percent for the year. Maybe they were 15 or 20 percent. Um, but there might be a quarter in there where they, you know, did have a drop off of more than 25 percent. And that quarter would would allow them to qualify for the for the next round of, of PPP. Yeah. So I do know that because um, I, I looked into it a little bit and somebody brought that to my attention. Uh, fortunately for us, um, we did not have a, a drop off that much of any quarter uh, or at all, to be honest. And um, so we don't qualify this round. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but. We're, we're at a point now where I think we know the businesses that need it and the ones that don't. And I don't think many IT services companies need the money. And quite frankly, we, we need to have this pool of money available for restaurants and movie theaters and, and, you know, all the places that we couldn't go because of the lockdown, whose businesses suffered tremendously are the ones who, in my opinion, deserve this and should take full advantage of, of, of this money. And, um, businesses that really don't need it should back off because yeah. I don't think we saw that the first time around. Right. So, all right, my man, I love all the right. show today. We, I think we covered a lot. I think we pe gave people a lot of good advice and I, I saw on our, our, our live stream stats there that we had a, a bunch of people on um, more so than normal. So it's good stuff. Um, any closing shots or uh, thoughts you want to, fire out to our audience before we uh, say goodbye? Well, it's, it's January 21st. Everybody has had their goals that they want to do new year and new, um, uh, I don't want to say resolutions, but just, you know, just their goals and stuff like that. So just go back to that. 
just like how you were pumped up back in the, you know, right when the when the ball dropped. I would just say go back to that. If you slacked off on whatever it is, personal or business, um, go back to it and, and just keep on trying. Yeah, man. Great, great advice. Um, goal setting is is always important. I'm not a fan of, of those New Year's resolutions because if you want to if you want to not hit your goals, set a resolution. That's my that's my kind of view on things. Um, so, yeah, I, I think maybe one of these podcasts we, we should kind of talk to people about goal setting and how how at least I set goals and you set goals and maybe people can can learn from that. And um because I wasn't always the greatest at at setting and achieving my goals. But once you kind of understand and unlock a formula and build the discipline and, and, and build a system that works for you, you can be very good at setting goals and achieving those goals. Um, so I don't really have any anything more to add to that. And plus our show is well over an hour now, I think, or we're close to it. We're at 56 minutes. So um I like it. I am uh, glad that uh, we get to do this and, and spread the word about what's going on out there in the world. Um, again, if you learned anything today on our show, please share it out on your social media. It's a quick share. You can do it right from uh, iTunes, from Google Podcasts, from Spotify. You just hit that share button and then click uh, click post and it goes right on your feed and, and let everyone know that you know this is a, a decent podcast. And if you want to learn about how technology and all this cybersecurity stuff affects you on a personal level and and, and in your business and in the company you own or work for. Um, Our goal is that you would share out our our podcast to your friends and family so everyone can really start to understand what they're up against and how to protect themselves. That's it for me, folks. Andre and I say... Goodbye, and we will uh, we will talk to you all next week. Take care. Bye. Bye.